Welcome to the Weekend Bite presented by Wall Street Breakfast. I'm Leslie Osman, and the market churn continues. This week, oil prices experienced several days below 100 a barrel, and recession fears continue to mount. We're seeing some changes in real estate, and we'll cover all of these topics and more in today's episode. Joining us today is Samuel Smith. He manages the high-yield investor-seeking alpha marketplace and is vice president at Leonberg Capital. Welcome, Samuel. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So Wall Street says we're nearing a recession. Many consumers think we're already in a recession. What do you think? Well, I don't obviously have the data, so I can't say whether we're technically in a recession at the moment or not. It certainly looks like we're headed there. Um, you know, you have all kinds of stressors on the economy. Largely, it's just a lag from the, the COVID disruption um, that was, you know, you could say artificially uh, patched over or propped up with heavy, heavy government stimulus and very easy monetary policy from central bankers um, that kind of glossed it over. But now, you know, the bill is coming due and we're seeing that in inflation. And um, obviously that's impacting consumer sentiment, I'm sure. Um, we have the war in Eastern Europe and the global supply chain, especially in food and energy uh, consequences stemming from that. Uh, and then obviously we have rising interest rates from the Fed that look like they're going to head even higher from here. That's weighing on things ranging from the housing market to uh, the ability for investors or for businesses to invest in expansion. So certainly a lot of uh, headwinds on the economy. And uh, I personally expect us to see recession sometime over the next year or two. So in a rising interest rate environment, investors that once turned to equity for income because yields were too low on bonds have reversed course. Why do you believe that high dividend yielding stocks are still an attractive investment opportunity? Sure. Well, I, I agree, obviously, you know, with rising interest rates on, say, treasuries or, uh, you know, higher quality bonds, certainly why buy a two or three percent yielding equity when you can get a, you know, a similar better yield on a much lower risk um, bond if income is your is your priority as opposed to total return. Totally get that. Um, for, for us, a high yield investor, we're not just blanketly buying any high yielding stock. We're very selective in what we go for. We, we focus on our highest conviction investments. And so for us, there are some opportunities still in the high yielding space that not only offer a considerable spread still to uh, lower risk uh, interest rating yielding things like treasuries, but also um, provide growth potential and uh, exposure to inflation that would actually boost the cash flows further. So we think that those, there are a few opportunities that are really, really opportunistic still in the current environment. So looking at some of the sectors that typically produce higher yields, energy and REITs in particular, that are cyclical in nature, given the economic slowdown, do you feel there's still an opportunity for good performing stocks in energy and real estate, particularly when a slowdown could potentially cripple demand? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not one to make short-term projections. I know a lot of, even some of my members get frustrated about that. Um, but, you know, we take a three to five year perspective because um, we believe that's much easier to predict than how a stock is going to perform in any short term period. Because as we've seen over the last two years, volatility is incredible. But on a fundamental, as in the business fundamentals level, yes. I mean, for example, there are master uh, uh, limited partnerships, MLPs uh, in the midstream sector. Um, there are some REITs, for example, triple net leases, especially if there are a couple that have some inflation and protection in their contracts, same with the MLPs. Um, so those are ones that should see very stable performance regardless of economic volatility or even commodity price volatility, while also seeing escalations uh, to their cash flows if inflation persists at a high level. 
Are there any sectors or industries that you're steering clear of? So anything that is uh, heavily exposed to commodity prices in the energy side, we're staying out of just because we do not feel like we're in a position where we can consistently and accurately predict the direction of energy prices. So that's why we are sticking with the midstream sector, which is much more stable in its cash flows. Same thing in the real estate sector. Um, obviously, you have some things like hotels, which are very, uh, very much exposed to economic activity. They have very volatile short-term um, cash flow movements. So we favor sectors that have much more stable cash flow profiles, our favorite being the net lease sector. So in the words of Warren Buffett, price is what you pay, value is what you get. Often a high dividend yield can be a byproduct of low price because of market drawdowns. What metrics do you use or observe to identify quality dividend companies that differentiate them from just simply buying a high yielding stock? Well, obviously dividend coverage, you know, whether whatever the cash flow metric is for that business. So it's usually distributable cash flow. Um, in the MLP sector or funds from operation or adjusted funds from operation in the REIT sector or in the traditional you know, C-Corp, it's you know, earnings per share. Obviously, that's something you look at, right? You want to make sure you're bringing in more cash and you're sending out to shareholders to know that it's, it's a, a sustainable yield. You want to look at the forward projections. Is it a stable cash flowing business model that regardless of the uh, direction of the economy, it's still going to be producing sufficient cash to cover that, that high yield? But one area that we really focus on that I think a lot of average retail investors or even some more sophisticated investors forget to focus on, especially in these instruments like MLPs and REITs, is the credit rating and the balance sheet health as a whole. Because we've seen several times where companies with high coverage ratios based on their cash flow still have to deeply cut their dividend. A great example of that recently is AT&T had to do that because they had such a heavily leveraged balance sheet. That with interest rates rising and the risk of a recession increasing, they said, managed to said, you know what, we need to prioritize deleveraging our balance sheet in order to secure our long-term welfare instead of just trying to pay out this dividend. So we look for stocks and we found several of them that have good coverage ratios, stable cash flow uh, profile with high yields, but also have a strong investment grade credit rating and are not at any risk of having to cut the dividend in order to prioritize the balance sheet. Any names you'd like to share? Sure. So, I mean, I think two in the midstream sector that I like a lot, I've written about them a lot, both on the public side and on and, and our high yield investor community. We've interviewed their management teams. Our uh, the two pipeline companies in particular that we think are uh, Energy Transfer um, and Enterprise Products Partners. Um, there are several others, but those are two I'll just share here. Um, they both are, are at cheap levels, uh, even compared to a year ago. You look at where their price is today relative to a year ago, they're very attractively priced. The price of oil is much higher today than it was a year ago. These two businesses, they have much stronger balance sheets. They have higher distributions. Um, there's just a very clear market disconnect here, and they're both very resistant to recessions and inflation. Thanks so much for joining us today. Great insights. Samuel Smith, VP of Leonberg Capital. We'll take a brief break and be right back after this. When the right moment comes, you better not miss. Seeking Alpha's stock rating alerts. Go to your portfolio. Click on the bell icon on the right. Adjust alert settings. Done. Never miss the right moment again. Seeking Alpha. Be a better investor. Welcome back to Weekend Bite. We're now joined by William Houston, Chief Investment Officer of Bay Street Capital Holdings. William, thanks for being here today. Thank you. So inflation is likely not transient. It's going to stay here for a while with the Fed continuing its hikes. 
In this environment, alternative investments can prove to be an inflationary and recessionary hedge. Are there particular asset classes or alternatives that you feel could benefit? Thanks. I really like the real estate sector, especially the luxury travel space. Um, we spoke about hotels earlier and how they're more how they're more affected by the ins and outs of certain types of travel. In the luxury market, though, you've got a much more illiquid asset. Uh, you're able to get higher rents on a night to night basis. And in terms of what we're seeing with the interest rates, yes, they've come down, which is a great sign for today. We're seeing the market positively, positively respond to that. But prices are remaining intact. We're not seeing a big discount in the price points at properties uh, that are that are much more illiquid, especially in the travel destination space. So I'm really excited about that opportunity. So when you mention luxury travel and hotels and things of that nature, given the declines that we're seeing in consumer discretionary spending, which year to date is down nearly 30 percent on the heels of recessionary fears, how do you think that the luxury travel space will fare overall? How are consumers supposed to afford this type of um, discretionary spending? So to your point, discretionary spending is down. So what I think is happening as a result of COVID is people are being more particular with how they travel. So if a family is going to go to Universal Studios, for example, instead of staying in a hotel where they're going to spend six, seven hundred dollars a night, they're going to splurge a little bit. They'll look on an Airbnb, VRBO, or they'll look for some sort of private listing where they can spend about the same or slightly more and have their own private residence. They're going to be a little more safety there. There's going to be more space for them. And what they're giving up in the amenities of the hotel, they're gaining in a property that's going to be significantly nicer for their family to stay in. So although the discretionary spending is, is lower, uh, my point is that people are still going to decide how they're going to spend their time. And on average, they're only going to travel 12 to 14 days. And because of that, I think that they're going to be more particular with how they spend that money. With mortgage rates that are climbing at historically fast rates, what does this mean for housing and the rental market in general? Um, and are you seeing any type of slowdown in the luxury real estate market? So the interest rates came down today uh, from 5.7 to 5.3, which is good. And again, houses are staying intact. Now, certain areas are still overvalued. So there's certain markets where the housing prices are out of control. Um, but there are certain areas, especially when we speak about destination travel, where there's always going to be foot traffic to these areas. There are always going to be places where people go for their vacation time. They're not just like like suburban areas that have seen an influx of, of people that have moved as a result of COVID. And in those areas, we've not seen any sort of major discount as it pertains to nightly rates or rents or or even purchase prices uh, even as interest rates were coming up there was no real movement in terms of um, the prices coming down prices have slowed down and i think they will start to normalize over time but i don't see any sort of uh scenario where the prices at the, of those sorts of properties will actually start declining william thanks for taking the time to join us today william houston chief investment officer of bay street capital holdings thank you Next up, we have Kim Khan for next week's Catalyst Watch. Kim, thanks for joining us. You're in Scotland, much closer to the United Kingdom than we are. Talk to us a little bit about Boris Johnson's resignation, as well as next week's Catalyst Watch. Well, as far as Boris Johnson's concerned, it's been a crazy week, um, a rapid fire week. And, you know, in 2019, he was uh, elected as prime minister in a landslide conservative majority. And less than three years later, he's, he's out the door. 
it's um it's quite su it's surprising in the fact of how it built up this week i mean he his finance minister resigned that sort of started to trigger it and um you know and then suddenly you saw a wave of resignations more in one day than any prime minister in history has ever seen from his government and he just you know it was position was untenable and you know it's basically this it's wimbledon time over here as well and so everybody's pointing to all these unforced errors that happened led to Boris Johnson's ouster. I mean, a lot of scandal, you know, party gate and breaking of COVID rules in uh, Downing Street and more scandals and more kind of like obfuscation or some people would say downright lies about what happened. And that's, you know, that's been his downfall. Um, you know, from a, you know, from an investing perspective, you know, um, the pound has been struggling of late. Um, you know, the uh, experts I've talked to don't see any change in that really from a new leadership. Um, they're gonna not gonna, you know, it's gonna be a difficult time while they're battling to choose a new leader. And, um, you know, look at UK stocks, most people are pretty neutral of them, thinking they're taking the kind of dour economic situation was already priced in, in, um, in, in the UK stock market. As far as next week's concerned, it's really busy um, in the U.S. Um, you know, we got earnings seasons kicking off. It used to be Alcoa that was the big curtain raiser. Now it's the banks. We've got J.P. Morgan, City, Wells Fargo, as well as like the I banks like Morgan Stanley. Uh, a lot of going to be attention is going to be on guidance there, not the um, the, the backward-looking numbers as people see if earnings estimates really are you know too high. And um, it's Amazon Prime Day, and then on our economic calendar, Wednesday, we've got the CPI, Thursday, got the PPI, heading up later to the Fed decision later this month. Thanks, Kim. We look forward to tuning in next week. Have a great weekend.